Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Now available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network, we are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. Liner, going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the podcast of champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And you may have noticed we didn't have an intro on the video today. We're going to get to that in a second, but I'm going to let him introduce himself. Yeah, because I'm Ryan Abraham from USCfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together, we make the podcast of champions talking all things Pac-12 football, Pac-4 football, whatever you want to call it now. But we're going forward. We actually have... A Pac-12 football season coming up, and it should be really freaking exciting with a lot of great teams, a bunch of new cool coaches, great quarterbacks. So it should be a lot of fun. So we're going to get into some team previews today. If you're listening on the regular podcast, you did hear an intro. If you're watching on our YouTube channel, which has blown up lately, David, we've got... It's exploded. It's been crazy with these emergency podcasts. There are parts of bodies everywhere. Thank you so much for uh, tuning in on what I call the simulcast. Dave won't call it that. That's not what it is. Um, but we're actually over, we're like over 1,200 subs on our um, YouTube channel now, and we can actually put some ads in there. So we're not putting the intro because it gets dinged every week because of the uh, the, the music. Yes. And uh, we emailed Anthony, who did the intro, what, two Eight years ago? Yeah, and he wasn't waiting on, on bated breath for us to email back, and I he know. doesn't have the file anymore. He might not even listen to the show anymore. I don't know, but he did our intro. We, we need some help with so the new intro. That's a very long way of saying that this isn't a joking request. It's a serious one. If you out there uh, want to get credited for doing some light audio engineering, uh, please uh, submit um, a potential intro for us that most importantly, does not include any copyrighted material. Yes. So if it's, you know, free use, uh, you know, uh, uh, what is it called? Fair use. Fair use uh, material. It's that, uh, there, there royalty free, I think. Royalty free. There we go. Uh, I believe. We want that. Um, we music. do have to come up with what our new slogan is because, we're you know, now in more homes of the Pac-12 network, we have to tweak it. But mm -hmm. we'll work with whoever it is there. And... You did say give some kind of slight credit. We probably won't remember who you are, you know. Correct. But that's okay. But we, so you won't really get a lot of credit. But maybe in the beginning you will when we like look at your email. No, Correct. I literally went back and looked through the emails from eight years ago. I saw what the the timestamp was on our original intro, and I'm like, okay, September of 2015 is when that was done. This was if teamwork you, because then I found out who it actually was, and then you emailed that person. Well, I didn't know that you found out. I found. No, I, just I found texted the email. you. I texted. Oh, I didn't see that. We were texting back and forth. 
There I was love that you want to call it teamwork, and I didn't use anything you said at all. But look, <laughs> that's okay. Look. Uh, but we, yeah, we love to do that. And Dave tweeted out the original video we did that sort of was like the precursor, like the origin story of the podcast of champions with Dave and I sitting in a weird park in No, Westwood. no, no. Uh, weird park doesn't really do it justice. Uh, in front of a playground. Yeah. Uh, wearing me in a blue shirt and you in a red shirt. Yeah. Uh, and talking about the 2015 UCLA and USC recruiting classes. Yeah. Real trip down memory lane. But we actually knew a lot about recruiting back then. It's like, shocking. We've gone to how, all kinds of events. It is shocking how smart we sounded. Yeah. And uh, we've gotten so much dumber since then. <laughs> I just don't do as much recruiting anymore, but I do some. Um, but yeah, so we so if you if you're a good audio person, you want to help us with an intro, we got to come up with a new slogan, all of that. Um, it'd be great to include the Pac-12 networks in it. We're still going to be called the Podcast of Champions. We don't even know what we're going to be talking about yet, I guess. But I'm guessing West Coast football is like kind of where our niche is. Like, you know, sure. I don't know. But you did a poll, right? People I did a poll. So the the poll is kind of so we did a poll to see what sh sort of show we should have, and I laid out three options: one, a Pac-12 show, so covering still the the 12 schools wherever they end up, um, covering the Pac-12 diaspora. Uh, two, <laughs> there's a word. Uh, two. Uh, we could cover the Big Ten uh, because obviously we'll have a little bit more familiarity with that since we cover UCLA and USC. There's also Oregon and Washington. But that obviously eliminates, you know, uh, a decent chunk of people who've listened to the show, at least if they don't want to listen to that crap. Or we could do both. But both probably requires because we will be devoting at least two times as much time and probably a little bit more to get it done. That probably requires us doing a Patreon to make it make sense for us. Yeah. And the poll results were interesting because it was an even split between Big Ten and Pac-12. Okay. And then about 11% for the Patreon. But knowing people, nobody's going to pick the one where they have to pay for it. But right. it was an even split between the two. So I think if we did the Patreon thing, we would probably get some subscribers. However, it's a lot more work. Yeah. So I don't know, man. We'll figure it out. I yeah. mean, I'm looking forward to this season, which we're going to preview and all that stuff. But we'll, we have to figure out the future. But we will continue to be the podcast of champions because that's just who we are. Like, that's what it is. Um, it's hard to not talk about all the schools we've been talking about. But, I mean, I don't know. Well, we have to include all the Big Ten schools and all the... Uh, Big 12 schools and then potentially Mountain West schools and ACC schools. Like yeah, pretty much at, at, a, at a certain point, we become this like kind of ridiculous. Uh, we also got to get some, I guess, technically semi-breaking news about the ACC. But um, at a certain point, we become kind of a ridiculous national college football show in that the only conference that we won't end up talking about is the SEC, which wins all the national championships. Oh, that's true. That would be the only one we would like avoid. Yeah, uh, which would be kind of on brand. Yeah. All right. Well, if you're listening, thank you. Uh, you can drop us an email. We got a ton of emails. We just did a show like four days ago. We got a whole bunch of emails. Pac12podcast at gmail.com. We got actually upsets Cal and Stanford fans. So uh, that'll be good to get to some of those. Uh, you can call or text us at 424-532-0678. I think we got one voicemail and we got a bunch of voicemails from our Pac-12 publishers to talk about their teams. And you can tweet us at Pac-12 Podcast or the website is Pac-12Podcast.com. That might have to change. Um, or maybe it doesn't. We just keep it Pac-12Podcast.com. 
come for it. We'll figure all that stuff out. Uh, and if you have the Apple Podcasting app, please leave us a five-star review. Rate us. Tell us why you like what you don't like, any of that. Do we have any new ones, David? We do, but uh, you forgot the most important rule about the uh, podcast reviews. If you want us to read it, it has to be five stars. It can be five stars and extremely insulting, but it has to be five stars. Okay. Do you understand? All right, we got a few. Um, this wow. is from Jim and Kent, a five-star review. Post-Pac-12 ideas. Love your ideas for keeping the podcast going in the post-Pac-12 era of virtual Pac-12. Uh, this is from Trace J13, uh, five stars. Love the pod. Next steps. I have thoroughly enjoyed the show. Thank you for all the work you've put into it over the years. I know the future of the pod is up in the air. My preference would be continue the show following the same 12 teams in their new leagues. Thank you, and go Denny Killingham. Um, virtual Pac-12, I kind of like, right? Like, mm -hmm. could we be the the virtual Pac-12 podcast? Like, we're, Absolutely. We're virtually covering, we're covering a virtual Pac-12. Like, it's Correct. not a real Pac-12. Yeah, and we just do power rankings every week for yeah. just the 12 Pac-12 teams. It's like Utah's undefeated in the Big 12 and like, say like Washington's like starts off six and oh or something in the big 10. And we're like, we're debating who's for, who should be first, you know, like uh, it's just, so the joke itself becomes one note after a little while. Right. Yeah. Like if you're just like constantly just making the same joke that these teams are all in the same league. Um, if we did that and Have like, we ever done that before, this is a ridiculous <laughs> thing to say about our show, but if we did that and had a little bit of substance behind it, like if we're actually covering the big 12, the big 10 and, uh, whatever mountain West or ACC, then I think it has some value. Um, cause ideally in an ideal world, we'd be covering the pac 12 teams, but covering the other teams well enough that we get some listenership from like Texas and stuff. True. Yeah. All right. Um, and we got another one or. No, that was it. Oh, okay. I thought you said we had a By a few, I meant two, apparently. Gotcha. All I right. mean, I can read the Lord of the Rings one now, but that will take me about 10 minutes. No, we don't, we don't, have, we don't have time for all that yeah. stuff. Um, we do have some previews to get to, and uh, we also, we're going to talk about, do you want to do the previews first? Do you want to talk about some of the... We got to talk about Cal and Stanford, so uh, throw your... Uh So this is since uh, we recorded on Saturday because the big uh, the big unknown is what's going on with the four schools that are remaining. Uh, basically, since Saturday, there's been increasing. Uh, I only say increasing. There was this like kind of sudden surge of buzz that the ACC is is taking a serious look at Cal and Stanford. Now, obviously, that's ridiculous. Like, that's insane. Uh, on Like, for so many different reasons. One, Cal and Stanford, even more than, like, the West Coast teams going to the Big Ten, going to the ACC is just stupid. Like, you're, all the trips are to the East Coast. Uh, and these are two... Everyone's in the Eastern time zone. Right. And these are two programs that bring very little value from, like, a, a you know money standpoint like they're not going to add value to that league and the acc itself is in like really bad shape and borderline falling apart it would be like oh god we're sinking on the titanic and look it's a recreated lusitania that we can jump on let's <laughs> jump on that boat um you know it's just we don't these aren't good um it'd actually be the reverse it'd be the lusitania because that was in world war one titanic was before that Darn but you get it you get it you understand yeah. um so uh, it, it wouldn't be a good move, I don't think, for Stanford and Cal for a lot of different reasons. It wouldn't be a good move for the ACC. Now, in today's college football, all that means is it's definitely going to happen. Um, but there's this out there now, that the ACC is looking seriously at those two schools. Um, and we'll have to 
we'll have to see if that shakes out into anything. My guess is no. Uh, some rational, cool head will prevail at some point. But as of right now, uh, there's still that hot buzz about it. Yeah, um, Yahoo reported on this, and they said that ESPN would probably help pay for some of the travel costs. I guess the league is—I uh, forget what—is it prorate or whatever? Like um, that they would have to come in at full shares unless they renegotiated something. And SMU could potentially come in and maybe not even get paid and just say, "Hey, we'll pay our way just to get out and just to get into a Power Five league." So there's potential adding SMU, um, Cal, and Stanford. Um, so we'll see, but you know, they might not come in and, you know, potentially full share, but, and maybe ESPN kicks in for some travel costs. Uh, that'll be interesting. It definitely would help if, you know, the, the underlying thing is like football is fine if you want to go travel everywhere, but keep the, you know, Olympic sports into regions, that would be much better, but I don't know if we'll get there. But I thought that was kind of interesting. Like, SMU could be involved too. It's not interesting. It makes absolutely zero goddamn sense, but. That means it will happen. Yeah. It, it, essentially, that's what happened there. Um, Ohio State Commissioner Gene Smith did retire, or he's going to retire in, the, in June of next year. Um, and he did a, an interview, and, and we've heard a lot of stuff from power players here, like uh, Greg Sankey spoke, but Gene Smith said that Fox stepped up and paid the extra money to allow Oregon and Washington to join at the half share thing. So the other schools apparently were like, we're not bringing anyone else on and like get, d divvying up the pie more. So it came down to Oregon and Washington getting money from Fox who wanted to bring them in. So I thought that was a little interesting tidbit. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, as we all know, and as we all have surmised throughout this process, the TV networks are the ones who are, um, you know, fueling expansion and, and realignment and the destruction of everything we know and love about the sport. And this is further confirmation of that. Um, they were willing to pay the money to make it happen. And it makes it um, interesting to consider what else they would be willing to do. Um, so I just described Stanford and Cal as more or less valueless, but that's not entirely true. To, for them, so for Fox, if you're uh, running the Big Ten, um, zeroing out ESPN's ability to get any of the West Coast and get any of those time zone games might be worth it. Uh, if you can get, you know, what did you pay for Oregon and Washington? $30 million? Okay. See if you can get Cal and Stanford for 20 each. Um, that might be worth doing. Yeah. Um, and yes, is this just another way for me to eventually get the entire Pac-8 under the Big Ten umbrella and create like a tumor of Pac-12 football inside of the Big Ten that will eventually metastasize and take over? Yes. Uh, but it makes kind of sense. Kind of does. No, it would. I, I think it would be better for Oregon, Washington, USC, UCLA if Cal and Stanford were in the Big Ten. But presidents want them, I think. I don't think they want to split the revenue, but I think presidents would like the prestige of those schools. But I don't think the networks really want want that. So that's kind of interesting. Um, some more info on the Apple deal that was presented, you know, and it didn't. The presidents didn't really like it. So apparently, it started at twenty three million per school, went up to twenty five. Uh, if you got to one point seven million subs, so do you, do you think that was even possible? Like one. Everything I've read is that like Sunday Ticket gets like two million. So, so there's like no the, the odds of Pac twelve. So. 
That would get you. So the 1.7 million would get you to 31.7 million. So basically, to get to the Big 12 deal, you had to sell 1.7 million million subs. Right. So here's my thinking on it: is the exit clause? I know uh, Washington's president, uh, Anna Marie Kalsi. I forget. I forget. I don't know how to pronounce. We haven't really heard from. Doesn't matter. Um, (laughs) uh, But she said uh, the the idea of having an exit clause is a deal breaker. You know that shouldn't be the way something is presented. And I'm like, yeah, but realistically, what would be a better move for the remaining Pac-12 schools? Would it have been taking kind of a a lowball deal from the Big Ten and you're locked into that for the next seven years, or take the 25 million from Apple and then see where you are in three years? If the economic conditions have improved, if companies have more cash, uh, you know, there's just, I, I don't know. I mean, 25 million is a different deal than 20. Um, and I, I don't know if it might have been better for some of these schools to just stick with the 25 and have the option to exit after three years, even from a financial standpoint. Obviously, I think it's better for the stability of the sport. Yeah. But, um, that's a better deal than they were initially reporting. The initial reports were it was 20. Yeah. Um, and everything was super incentivized. And this sounds more like the base money was okay. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I think, I don't know what the exact details of the subscriber amounts. It wasn't going to be 1.7, but if they get to one, is it then at 29 or 30 million? And if that's the case, I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, I think you might have been better served sticking with the league and then. Uh, exiting after three years if you see that the situation is not very good. I think our quote was something like, if the best part of the deal is you can get out of it in three years, it's probably not a good deal, which I thought that was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing, I was, uh, we're going to get to uh, that Marchand and Orand uh, podcast. It's like their sports business guys. One of the things they said is when Apple does a deal like that, you cover the production costs. So there's actually extra millions there you have to pay for production costs of your, they're just, they're not like coming in and doing that. So I guess the Pac-12 network would probably be a big part of that. And maybe that infrastructure would help. But I think that would knock the deal down a little bit um, if you're covering the production costs. But is that speculation or is that something that was reported? Because there was also some reporting earlier on when Apple was initially coming in with their offer that they would pay like $70 million to buy up the Pac-12 network's uh, apparatus. Oh, yeah. So I, who knows? Um but if that was in, I mean, that should be factored in. And if that was the case, that's a deal breaker. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so Klyovkov essentially overpromised what he could do and underdelivered. Um, I guess there was another linear deal that was, you know, in the works, and that fell apart in the in the final minutes. So that's kind of interesting. Um, so, and they had a July first, thirty first deadline. Colorado said it, but I guess all the presidents kind of set this. Now they'd set a lot of deadlines and stuff. Uh, but the reason, you know, one of the big reasons why it almost still worked is uh, your your boy, uh, Michael Crow over at Arizona State. My boy. He said his quote was, we were stalwarts fighting for the Pac-12 until the last ditch. Uh, he described the Apple deal, which a lot of people thought was terrible. He said it was a technological 23rd century Star Trek thing with really unbelievable capability that ASU. All was right. Very never mind. Never in. mind. It's a horrible deal. Okay. Nobody should have taken it. <laughs> If, if my guy Michael Crow was for it, then everyone should be against it. Uh, it was funny. Um, Pete Thamel talked to Washington State President, another one of your buddies, uh, Kirk Schultz. <laughs> that dummy. <laughs> it's just, he's in a rough spot. Um, so what he's saying for Washington State, you know, they're looking, they're, you know, turning over every rock to try to see what they can do. 
He said they're going to still invest like a Power 5 program and not cut sports, so that's good. Um, you know, it's funny. Pat Chung is the AD um, with the Ohio State's athletic director uh, resigning. I mean, maybe or, – or retiring. Maybe he wants to go back there. I think he probably does, but I don't know if they would take him at this point. But he said um, he really couldn't make an East Coast thing, like if they were with the AAC or something, work unless they really got a lot of money, which I don't think you're going to be getting for a group of five – um, out there, and I don't think the ACC is going to come in and get you. But uh, apparently, there's still some value though in the the Pac-12. It's almost like um, so you know someone takes a company public, which is like a thing to do. Like you you basically you're on the stock market, and the company just completely fails. There's value in the fact that you took it public, like you have like a, a stock ticker basically. So the Pac-12 still has that like sort of channel for the pack for the. Uh, college football playoff they have a bunch of ncaa um units built in so there's actually some value to like the burning husk of what's left of the pac-12 so it might be better to keep those schools together add on i don't know there's there's some options there but a lot of lawyers are thinking are gonna get involved you got to figure out like where all the value is um and then uh he it was funny he was asked about george klyovkov um you know, what should, you know, should he still be the guy? Um, and he had said, um, what was it called? Oh, what did he talk about? Oh, there was, uh, the quote was something like, that was like a, a secondary thing or something. Like he wasn't, it didn't seem all that, you know, happy or whatever. Just like he wasn't really worried about um, like what Klyovkov was doing and said he was really blindsided um, by the, uh, the USC and UCLA leaving things. So that was kind of interesting that one of the presidents said, he basically had no clue that that was coming. It wasn't like he was fighting it or couldn't just couldn't keep him, but it was just really a blindside kind of thing. So Klyavkov, in that vein, uh, told John Wilner in a story uh, a couple days ago via text message. Yeah. I'm loyal to a fault and probably to my personal detriment. Had plenty of chances to leave over the past two years when the breadth of the challenges were already obvious and decided to stick it out and try to do the best I could. We still have a lot of work ahead of us to try and minimize the impact on the student athletes, and I'm still committed to that. Yeah, is the, like I, I tweeted this, but like it's like super. I'm just too nice. Girls don't like me. <laughs> they only like bad boys. Energy from uh, from George Klyavkov right there. Like just, I mean, what? Come on, man. Yeah. I'm loyal to a fault, homie. You sound like you're 16 years old. What is this? Yeah. And what, from what Schultz was saying that, you know, when he was asked about his involvement, he's like, it was a secondary issue saying that. I think the main issue, Wilner reported that Klyovkov makes three and a half million dollars a year. It's those three years. Yeah, I'm loyal, as a, I'm loyal to a fault when I'm making three and a half bills. Yeah. <laughs> and I got three years left. So <laughs> if you really just wanted to get rid of him, I don't know if that would happen. I think Schultz talked about getting a new, he basically hired his buddy as like the consultant or whatever. It's like, well, that didn't work. So you'd probably need a different consultant because you still have to figure out some kind of media rights deal. If you say you, you keep those four together, the pack four, and then you add a few more and they get to eight and you could be a real conference and you still got to get some kind of media rights deal. So I don't know, but I thought it was interesting though, that he said he was blindsided by it. So, you know, we didn't know if like Klyovkov kind of knew that USC and UCLA were going to leave, um, but didn't want to like, say, okay, we're going to do unequal revenue or uh, revenue sharing. No, no, no. Nobody knew. And we knew that at the time. We, we didn't think, but you, you, you would have to, I mean, 
I mean, Mike Bone told me while I was sitting in this damn chair that all the options were on the table. So, like, yeah, but nobody, you didn't know it was happening. No, but I, you knew it was a possibility. So you have to like, I don't know, like knowing knowing something is a possibility. Like it's a possibility that tomorrow a meteor hits the Earth and all life is extinct. Yes, I know that. I would still be shocked if the meteor came and hit Earth tomorrow. Yeah, um, and that's what happened to the Pac-12 when that happened. Is like, yeah. It's a possibility that UCLA and USC, literally the anchors of this like entire conference and the entire idea of West Coast football because of the media market, uh, it, it, it's certainly a possibility that they decide to go play in a Midwestern league. It's insane, but it's certainly a possibility. And then to have the reality of that slap you in the face, I mean, it's one thing to, okay, should they have, in retrospect, been a little bit uh, more cognizant of the uh, uh, frustrations, especially at USC, but certainly at UCLA as well? Yes. But could, could they have expected that would result not in them going independent, not in them you know, trying to make something happen to the Big 12, but that they would go to the Big 10 and, uh, and Fox would buy them out and basically kneecap your entire conference? God, that's that's a harder one. That's a harder one to figure out. It's one thing for Texas and Oklahoma to literally go over the river into the SEC, but to to go over two thousand miles of prairie to the Big Ten is a is a different deal entirely. West Texas Mike keeps giving me credit. He said, but Ryan said that USC could go to the Big Ten a lot. That's why I wasn't completely stunned when it happened. Ryan said they could go independent a lot. I don't. I, I, said I don't more re- of that. Yeah, I don't remember how much you were saying Big Ten, but you did say it. I, I will yeah. acknowledge that. But it wasn't a thing that like. I don't know. This I didn't was, believe it. This wasn't a possibility that was like bandied about at large um, in any kind of like realistic way. Like that's going to happen. It could just be they're going to get increasingly, you know, frustrated and annoyed and maybe go independent at some point. And it was always talked about in isolation about USC. Yeah. Uh, David Floyd says um, in 2021, the Pac-12 could have added Kansas, Texas Tech, Oklahoma State and others. And I think that's true. And I, I want to one last thing for me on this. Um, I'm, you know, I'm not big in the sports business, but those March on and uh, Oran, they do a really good job. One's from the the New York Post, one's from the Sports Business Journal. I listened to like, I don't know, 10, 15 minute segment of their podcast today, talking about all the things that got screwed up, you know, and one of them was before the Big 12 had their deal. And that was the big, that that was the power move when he, you know, um, they jumped ahead. Uh, Brett Yormark jumped ahead. ESPN, Amazon and Fox. Amazon was involved, and then they weren't involved, but they were ready to cut a deal with the Pac-12. And what they're reporting was it was going to be a little bit more than what the Big 12 ended up getting. So in the thir- you know mid-35 yeah. million a, a range, right? Um, and he, he said that the presidents at, in the Pac-12 were arrogant. Um, they really wanted SEC or Big 10 money for some reason. And that's when, if you remember back, I mean, this has gone on for more than a year, right? When they're, you know, when right after USC and UCLA left, I remember these guys both reporting, or one of them at least, that they were hundreds of millions of dollars apart. And that's where this came down to, that there was a a legit, decent deal on the table and the Pac-12 wanted way more than that. And that sort of opened up the door for the Big 12 to say, hey, we'll take the deal. And which some people thought was risky at the time, but they got the deal done. And you know, there was a combination of things with just the, you know, everyone assumed the TV deals would keep going up and up and up. And that's changed. They jump in and they get their money now. But you still have like the NFL with billions in rights and the NBA. They had a lot to do with this too because there wasn't as much money left. And so the fact that the Big 12 got in there before the Pac-12, obviously George Klafkoff didn't know it at the time. A lot of people didn't. But that was 
you know, the death blow. But they had an offer. They could have taken something. Um, so I thought that was kind of uh, interesting comments. And he said the number one culprit for, like, they were like, who are the top three culprits? Uh, one, he said the university presidents. Second was Larry Scott. And third was Klyovkov. But um, he said, you know, that they were the ones that rejected the deal. They also gave all these fault. Like, if you were trying to negotiate a TV deal, giving these false deadlines, negotiating the press, talking openly about money, like that, none of that stuff is going to help you get a deal. So he really put a lot of blame on the president. And, and that's why I've kept calling uh, every single one of these guys who's opened their mouths uh, an idiot. Yeah. Uh, Kirk Schultz. No, you're right. Uh, Robert Robbins, the whole deal. Because um, it's just stupid. Yeah. Um, it was overinflated view of where the Pac-12 was in the marketplace. So you just didn't know what you know where you were, what the started, environment was, or anything well, like that. Well, and so. you, it, one thing to project confidence, like Klyavkov was doing, but then there was always this sense of like arrogance with the public's statements like this oh god you know we're, we're not only confident we we truly do believe we are like still uh top tier like upper crust power five and it's like you're not like you're, you can maybe be big 12-esque but that's about where you are now um there was another thing and this is before we get to previews um i feel bad because i said i market this as we're not going to talk about expansion but there's just been so much yeah. interesting things like you have to like talk well about it's just it. on that arrogance topic because that's been a constant theme in these kind of um post-mortems on the pac-12 or pre-mortems if it's not quite dead yet um but uh brock heward um works for espn or does he still work for espn um, he might be Fox now. He he had uh, he had Chris Peterson on his podcast um, recently or on the radio, and uh, they recounted a story of Heward and Kirk Herbstreit going to the Pac-12 offices in one of those like kind of preseason meetings to like discuss everything. And basically, well, here's the quote: uh, Our boss at ESPN said, "You two are going to go in there, and we're going to work through this." And it was like an hour. Uh, and he said, "I remember looking at you, Chris Peterson." Chris Peterson specifically and said, all right, permission to speak freely. Can I just air out what's really going on here? And I remember you and Chip Kelly and David Shaw were like, well, yeah, then what the heck else are we doing here? <laughs> I was like, all right, I don't know if this is good for my career. It's probably not good for my Q rating, my popularity with the league and officials, but let me just lay it out. You guys are way behind. You're way behind. The way you treat your broadcast partners, you're way behind. The hubris and arrogance you have, you're way behind. The way you think that you can just keep doing what you're doing, you're way behind. Um, and then when he finished, it was like a pin drop, you know, and, and uh, all the coaches were kind of receptive to that. But this was a meeting with league officials, with Larry Scott, with a bunch of people surrounding these athletic programs, and clearly nothing happened. And this was years ago. Man, that's Years ago, crazy. already ESPN was telling them, you got to stop uh, behaving this way. Um, and... You know, I mean, if you've been following the Pac-12 for a while, it is very much a league of like arrogance about the you know 500 national championships between all the schools, um, and you know this this idea of like this academic supremacy, which all of that can be good. Having you know pride in those sorts of things can be very yeah. good, but when you let it influence um, your decision making in such a profound way, which it seems to have throughout this process, uh, that's where you murder your league. And that's what happened. Crazy stuff. Uh, that that's an amazing. Like you know, and Brock Heward being a Pac-12 guy, it probably was like, hey, I'm trying to help here. You know, like this is this is going to help you guys. You need to be. You need to act differently. Mm -hmm. And uh, obviously, Larry Scott uh, did not. Um, real quick, the coaches poll came out. Yay! You love those? 
football. Actual football. Football. Uh, so, number six, we have USC Trojan. Uh, number 11, Washington Huskies. <laughs> number 14, Utah Utes. Number 15, Oregon Ducks. And number 18, Oregon State Beavers. The Beavs, uh, if they win the Pac-12, it would be epic. Like, it would be right? incredible. It would be incredible. So a few notes on the coaches poll. And that, do you want me to do – there's three others getting okay, votes. Okay, UCLA's 31, Washington State 52, and Arizona 56. Yeah, so but they're getting votes. UCLA's close, but the other schools just have a couple. A few of notes. Points. First, coaches poll stupid, doesn't matter. So does the AP poll, but it's not as stupid. Right. Second, it's almost always unfairly weighted against the Pac-12 and the West Coast generally because there's just not as many voters out here. Uh, so to have five teams in the top 25 is still pretty profound um, in the preseason. That means, you know, it's even trickling down to other people. The Pac-12 is going to be pretty good this year. Yeah. Uh, three, don't really have any problem with the ratings. I think UCLA is probably more like 25th, 24th than 31st. And everyone else probably bumped up a step uh, behind. But um, still, shows even in – because, like, the coaches poll is basically like if you asked an idiot on the street who are the best teams in college football. Um, so – for, for it to already be out there, the Pac-12 is going to have a really good season is great. Um, I think that's great for the branding of the league going into this last year. Yeah. All right. Well, should we get to our um, Pac-12 previews? I guess. Yeah. We what the hell? Do, they could do it. Let's. Uh, why don't we start first with Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> Unless you have an issue with that, David? No, I don't. Let's All do right. it. So uh, I don't know if you know this guy. His name is Chris Cartman. Just crushes Sun Devil coverage. Yes. Yeah, just crushes. Here we go. Chris Cartman here for Sun Devil Source covering Arizona State preseason camp. Uh, we're about nine practices in right now. Teams headed to Camp Tonazona, which is up near Payson uh, today. And for the next few days, it's a, a great tradition. Uh, quarterback competition in Tempe, very close between Trenton Bourget, returning starter, and Drew Pine, transferring in from Notre Dame. Um, I think, think we're going to know uh, a winner of that competition until probably uh, another week, week and a half or so. ASU has 30 Division One transfers, and a lot of them are going to be starters or in the two deep. Team looks like it has a much better roster this year than in previous years, with the strengths of the team being pass catchers, Elijah Badger, Xavier Guillory, the wide receiver transfer who looks great, Jalen Conyers, the tight end, and others between the receiver and tight end groups. And then pass rush has been really bolstered uh, with the arrival of Clayton Smith from Oklahoma. B.J. Green looks really good as a returning guy. And secondary is going to be a strength of this team as well. Ro Torrance and Ed Woods returning corners. Also very experienced. Mason Williams looks a lot better. They have Chris Edwards at safety, among others. I think ASU is going to be a better team than people probably expect or realize uh, due to all of this roster influx. I'm looking forward to covering it. So uh, we'll have more for you later. For Sun Devil Source, this is Chris Cartman. Chris is usually knows, like, if I'm, like, kind of down on ASU and he's like, no, I think they're going to be pretty good. I'm like, okay. Or if it's, like, last year, I was like, oh, ASU might not be terrible. He's like, no, they're going to be bad. So... Yeah, no, he, I, I he, he gives the straight scoop. Um, and there have been years, like, I think it was, what was it, four or five years ago where we were both like, they're going to be bad. And he's like, 
and it, it was coming out of spring. He's like, no, 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 you guys, you got to stop saying that. They had the veteran. Who was the the quarterback they had? They had a veteran quarterback. Yeah. Um, I forget, yeah, they had some good couple good receivers. I'm blanking on who it was, but uh, we don't we don't do names. We don't do I names. I can pull here. it up. I think. Um, but I would. Uh, it was um, what's his face, the receiver, the really good one. You know the one. You know the one. Yeah, you do. Uh, so it wasn't. This was before Jaden Daniels. Uh, it was. Yeah, it was not Jaden Daniels. Manny Wilkins was he the court? Nikhil Harry. Nikhil Harry. Yeah, that nah, was probably too far back. Um, anyway, doesn't really matter. Uh, so for ASU, uh, Trenton Bourget, Drew Pine. Uh, so Drew Pine is the Notre Dame transfer. Um, Trenton Bourget was the former walk-on, uh, came in, was pretty accurate, running the offense, um, looked kind of way better than um, anyone had a right to expect. But also, it, it was it was such a situation where it was like, why did you wait so long to make this switch? And, you know, <laughs> Herm Edwards, everyone. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I think that's... That's one of the more interesting competitions uh, in the league this year. And the fact that it hasn't been clearly Drew Pine's job, I think speaks to Borges' talent, but also maybe to what Cartman was saying. This team might be a little bit better than people are expecting it yeah. to be um, if there's a real competition between the you know incumbent and a guy who started much against Notre Dame. Um, defensively, I, I've got some questions. I mean, it, it was one of... I don't know, six defenses in the league last year that were horrible, um, just god-awful. Uh, he said the pass rush is supposed to be improved. I'm I'm interested to see what they look like between the tackles. Um, I know defensive tackle, they've they've got some size questions. Um, so that's what I'm interested in seeing is, and this is the, the same note for a lot of schools in the league because the defenses were so bad last year, but yeah. if we're going to see meaningful improvement from last year when it was a decent enough year for the league. Uh, and by that, I mean, I think one of the worst Pac-12s in a long time. Uh, but uh, if it's if it's going to be improved from that, um, it's going to require a lot of defensive improvement for a lot of teams, and I think ASU's among them. It was one of those things where if you like looking at advanced stats and like returning production and all that kind of stuff, I don't know what you think about the numbers now, but with the transfer portal, like it's really hard to evaluate what a team's going to do when you just get a whole bunch of new players, you know, and like, do you know, they're all going to work in the chem? I mean, you can't like put a number on how the chemistry is with the team and did they backfill in enough spots or the deep enough here or there, you know, ASU is one of those teams that just, there's a whole, it's going to be a very different look. And, you know, you might not get a feel for what they're going to be like until later on in the season. I don't know, but to me, it makes it a lot harder to, to preview some of these teams when, the entire, you know, whole group position groups are different, you know, and it's just like, okay, well, you got guys coming back that aren't even going to play anymore and things like that. So it's 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 kind of weird. Yeah, I mean, as of right now, I have ASU going three and six in conference. Um, and if I was picking the non-conference slate, um, I would probably go. I'd probably go two and one. Uh, so they get Southern. It's all home games. It's Southern Utah, Oklahoma yeah. State, and Fresno State. Now, obviously, that's two good opponents and one FCS. They should yeah. beat the FCS. But you could do two and one, yeah. But split the the decent opponents at home makes sense to me. Um, so Oklahoma State thinks fall it off a bunch too. Yeah, and and ASU hovering right around five hundred in this first year for uh, Denny Killingham feels right. Yeah. So five and seven. Yeah, that sounds about right. LFG says it was Wilkins, so that was the quarterback. So I think it was Wilkins was back for like a senior year or something that year, and and we were like, ah, ASU's going to suck. And then 
Because I think it was they hired Herm Edwards. It might have been the first year they hired Herm Edwards. But they still had like a bunch of veterans on offense and stuff. And uh, so they, they were actually pretty good that first year, if I recall correctly. Okay. Um, all right. Let's go to... Uh, the receiver uh, I was thinking was Brandon Ayuk. Oh, Brandon Ayuk. Okay. He's yeah. more recent, though. But He was 2018. Nikhil Harry was... I think, I think when he was there when Herm first came in, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. But um, All right. Next up, Arizona Wildcats. Our man, Jason Shear, who was all over this conference realignment stuff. You know, I was listening. I told you that March on and Ormond or whatever it's called, the sports business podcast. They literally mentioned him by name. They mentioned Jason Shear for reporting in a positive way. So Jason, Jason, Jason's profile has shot through the moon <laughs> uh, in the midst of realignment. And he's taken some time out of his day to talk with us. So here's his uh, preview. This is Jason Shear of Wildcat Authority, and Arizona football has an exciting season ahead. There's really uh, multiple questions, but at the same time, there's there's an underlying confidence going on right now within the program. Uh, the biggest question right now is the defensive side of the ball. Arizona basically went and rebuilt the, the entire defense, brought in multiple transfers. Taylor Upshaw from Michigan uh, is, is one of the bigger names on the defensive line. Justin Flo from Oregon should start at linebacker. If not, he'll compete. And then multiple other players as well. The Wildcats are the biggest they've been in, in a long time on the defensive side of the ball, especially up front. And there's been a, uh, a lot of rotation for the defense. Uh, that basically is, is really, you know, the, not to put too much pressure on the defense, but um, if Arizona is going to make a bowl, it is going to be because of the defense. The offense should be fine. Jaden DeLore returns. The offensive line looks good. Freshman, true freshman, Raymond Polito, who at one time was committed to Alabama, uh, has been on campus in the summer. He arrived, and he's already starting on the offensive line. It looks to be the real deal. Uh, they lost Dorian Singer to USC, but replaced him with Colorado wide receiver Montana Lamonius Craig, who has looked fantastic to start camp. Uh, Arizona's goal is to make a bowl game. Uh, you know, I, I don't think the goal – is, you know, anybody's being realistic or unrealistic uh, with the belief that Arizona's going to all of a sudden win 10 games. But ultimately, this team is expected to make a bowl. Most of that will be based on the defensive performance because I think people have confidence in an offense that returns most, if not, you know, all of its important players pretty much. So defensively, it's going to come down to whether or not that depth uh, is quality and if these transfers can come in and make an impact and hopefully a larger impact than they did at their previous school. But again, Arizona, much bigger, more physical team. Uh, the pressure's on the defense. Uh, the out-of-conference schedule, um, while somewhat difficult with Mississippi State, uh, it's also at the point where Arizona should be able to find some success. So the goal, again, is to make a bowl game. Jetfish and the program believe they're headed in that direction, and we'll just have to find out and see. All right, great stuff from Jason. Um, yeah, looking at the defense for Arizona, um, even losing uh, Keon Bars to uh, USC, I think they probably upgraded talent-wise defensively. I mean, the, the front seven additions, I know Jason just went through it, but Justin Flo, Daniel Hamouli, uh, Oren Patu, Taylor Upshaw, Tyler Manoa, Bill Norton, um, I'm not even going to try the Indiana guy's name, CO. Uh, that's a bunch of, you know, as he said, a bunch of size um, and a bunch of guys with college playing experience. Now, like a guy like Flo, I know for one, is a bit of a reclamation project. Like, right. you know, how, 
how do you get him back to the five-star level he was out of high school? And he's flashed at times at Oregon, uh, but play discipline, you know, playing gaps down football, like those things have been a major challenge for him at the college level. Will a different system fit him better? You know, will Johnny Nansen's system fit him a little bit better? That's an open question. Or a second chance makes him, you know, lock in a little bit more. Who knows? But that's really interesting to me because that's a that's high upside. And then there's a guy like Tyler Manoa who his last year at UCLA transferred to the offensive line. Uh, he was playing right tackle for the first time ever. And I, I still think he probably makes the most sense if you went back in time as an offensive lineman rather than a defensive lineman. But it probably didn't make sense in his it's final year of college. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, he gets back into his comfort zone. Uh, he was a solid plugger at UCLA. Um, and that represents probably an upgrade for what Arizona's largely had uh, at defensive tackle over the years. So I'm a little bullish on them being improved defensively. But it, again, if you look at the advanced stats for Arizona defensively last year, that's not saying a whole lot. Right. Improvement means you're not like maybe the literal worst team in college football. Uh, I think, you know, if if things break right, though, this is it's a much more talented group. Maybe they could crack the top 80 in college football and top 80, I think is what they need to be defensively to get this offense, which should be top 25. Should be fun. Yeah. Uh, get this entire group over the, over the line to a bowl game. Yeah. I think the, the bowl, I think that's a legit six and six, seven and five. I think that's where you want to be. If you're Arizona, if not, I think there's, you know, there's going to be some concern again, though, just there's like, you mentioned all the players, you know, adding these guys from the portal it's hard for me to picture because I've been out to USC football practice and like literally USC starting defensive tackle, nickelback and wide receiver are probably guys that were on Arizona's roster last year. Like that and USC is a really good team and they got like three starters potentially from Arizona. So there's, you know, there's a lot of guys that you got to backfill and, uh, and, and see, and, you know, but the good thing is, you know, you lose singer, but, you got stud receivers too, and like like you were talking about adding some more beef in the middle of defensive line that should help. Um, you know, uh, Christian Rolla Wallace from the secondary. That guy is freaking jacked, by the way. Mm -hmm. Like I've never seen a corner. He's like big. Remember we were talking about Biggie yeah, Marshall. Yeah. He looks sort of like that. His arms are like bigger than like Biggie's. Yeah, words. Yeah. Like the dude is freaking jacked. Like you're a cornerback. Yeah. Like what the heck? Um, but so yeah, I'm. But I'm kind of optimistic. I've always sort of been optimistic on Jed Fish that he could kind of progress. But this is sort of a year. You got to get to the bowl. We got You got to get that next step this year. Um, and you know, Arizona State's got a new coach. Colorado's got a new coach. So I think there's some some opportunities there that you could get over on both of them. And we'll get to this because we're going to hear from uh, Adam Munster Tiger in a second. But they're, well, we won't get to this because they don't retain any of their players from last year. But um, <laughs> one thing I've noticed with Jake Wiley is a UCLA offensive lineman this year. We're also going to do UCLA and USC today, aren't we? Yeah, we're going to yeah. do it. Yeah. Um, and I, I wonder if it's true for Montana Limonius Craig because he was good at Colorado. But like he the was really good, I thought. Well, the stats don't show like an elite receiver, but True. my point is um, there's a Colorado effect, a Carl Durrell effect uh, to all <laughs> of these players, especially on Colorado's offense from last year, where they might be underrated uh, by uh, transfer portal rankings, by just like anybody's assessment based on their eyes because they were part of such a terrible offense. But I know Jake Wiley's impressed UCLA's coaches so far on the offensive line, and they were pretty high on him coming into the portal and it sounds like Montana Lamonius Craig is really showing out in an actual credible offense 
Um, so I'm really looked intrigued. awesome in the Colorado Spring game that you didn't watch that I did. Who watches that stuff? I did. But um, it's on ESPN. But so I'm really intrigued by him. I'm really intrigued by how he yeah. might fit into that maybe that singer role with Jacob Cowing. Maybe he doesn't have to play as much outside as as they were thinking coming out of spring. Maybe he can get back into more of his comfort zone in the slot. Who knows? Uh, but I think it gives them some more optionality in their receiving game, which will be nice. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's go next up. You mentioned him. Oh, wait. Hold on. I got to do the... Uh... Yeah, come on, man. Yeah. Sorry. Colorado Buffalo. We got these great sounds, too. We can't, like, mm-hmm. not use them. Uh, all right. Here's the preview from Adam Munster Tiger. This is Adam Munster Tiger reporting for Buff Stampede. Colorado's preseason camp roster includes 88 newcomers, if you include walk-ons, 48 of which are scholarship transfers from other four-year institutions. I'd say the biggest takeaway early on during camp has been Shadur Sanders. He continues to impress with his decision-making, accuracy, and just overall grasp of the offense. He might not be in that top tier of Pac-12 quarterbacks this fall with Caleb Williams, Bo Nix, and Michael Penix Jr., but it looks like he's going to be in that next grouping when it comes to quarterback rankings in the conference. You look back at Colorado in the quarterback position, Steven Montez had a lot of physical gifts. Stefo Lufau was a warrior. Even Joel Klatt had his moments when he was playing at Colorado, but what Shadour has shown on the practice field since arriving in January has been head and shoulders better than anything we've seen at the, that position this century, really. So uh, a lot of excitement there. But there's a, a big question. What happens if Shadur Sanders gets hurt this season? Colorado's depth at quarterback right now is two scholarship true freshmen and two walk-ons. So uh, they're probably not going to ask Shadur to, to run and expose himself too much. That That is a part of the offense. He will be utilized, uh, utilizing his legs from time to time. But that, that's not you're not going to be able to – Put him in a position where he's a target on too many occasions just because he's too valuable for this football team. Uh, you also have to look at in terms of a question mark about you know, while Shadur is this extremely intelligent quarterback that's picking up this offense, how, how quickly is everybody else around him picking up the offense? That was one of the things during spring ball uh, you'd see maybe he wasn't on the same page with everybody because he was so far beyond them, uh, his teammates on offense in terms of picking up and grasping Sean Lewis's up-tempo offense. Uh, Travis Hunter has lived up to the hype. He's uh, everything that they said he was going to be. He's gone back and forth between receiver and cornerback early on during preseason camp. And honestly, he looks like a future first-round NFL draft pick at both those positions. Uh, more question marks come in, in the trenches. Just how good are is Colorado's offensive line going to be? How good is their, their front seven defensively? I would say if Colorado's just average on the offensive line in front seven defensively they should be able to win quite a few games this year because they've got the skill talent it's about how uh, how good they are going to be at the point of attack on both sides of the ball colorado ranked dead last in the country in quarterback sacks last season ranked 11th in the conference in sacks allowed so uh, they'll be better They, they can't be as bad as they were last year and one guy to keep an eye on in terms of colorado's pass rush is jordan dominic he's Earned a lot of praise since he got on campus. He ranked third in the SEC in sacks at Arkansas last year. So uh, a guy that's already proven to be a top-level pass rusher at the Power 5 level. You also got to look at team chemistry. How solid is that going to be once they face adversity? It looks good right now, even with all these. We got the cutoff there. Yeah. but uh, uh, so He was on two, a roll. Two things. Two things. One, it's exciting to hear Adam excited. 
It is. It's been a long time since we've heard uh, Adam Munster Tiger excited about Colorado football. I think it's been seven years, actually. So this is nice. Two, so excited that he gets cut off. He is not one of our uh, one of our callers who gets cut off. No, he he fits it into the tight three minutes. So for him to have enough to say, and you don't want to like wrap a bunch of negative stuff in one of these things. For him to have a bunch of stuff to say that's positive about Colorado football that he gets cut off after three minutes, good sign. I like it. Really good sign. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of unknowns. Uh, so much. It's it's hard to really wrap your head around it, but I think he he kind of nailed. Uh, as he should, he covers the team. Uh, but he kind of nailed my big question marks, which are defensive and offensive line. Um, yeah. There's so many new faces on both sides, and how those guys fit together. And uh, you know, I know on the offensive line they lost. Uh, at least Wiley was a guy they didn't necessarily want to lose. There's some guys, yeah. There's some guys that didn't want to lose. So there's there's an element here where you know they had to they had to do some replacing that wasn't intentional. Um, so I'm interested to see that. I'm interested. To see, I know Bishop Thomas is a defensive tackle transfer who's gotten a little bit of pub in fall camp. Excited to see what he looks like. Um, but if they can be okay in those areas, I mean, they could be electric. Like there's there's some athletes on this team that are just exceptional. I mean, yeah. Travis Hunter is going to come in and look like the best player in the Pac-12. Yeah, he could for sure. And it's just like I. I it's going to be like the LaVisca Chenault thing, but um, maybe even more profound because he's playing both ways, um, where it's just like, ah, like, I can do anything on the field. So I, I'm I'm really intrigued by Colorado. I, I sort of think it's going to be, you know, what Jed Fish was able to do in year two at Arizona. I think it might be like that for Deion Sanders in year one at Colorado, where they might be a... You know, one of those sneaky, dangerous teams that goes five and seven, uh, but is sneaky, dangerous the whole time and knocks off a couple of big fish. Yeah, SP says Colorado is better than last year. I see a successful seal, uh, season hitting the 500 mark. Um, every game over, that would be impressive. I mean, I think over four wins would be impressive. So it's like, a tough, tough schedule, man. Yeah. Uh, that's honestly, that's my thing is that if you gifted them with, I don't know, UCLA's schedule this year, six and yeah. six for sure. But they have to go at TCU, Nebraska at home, and Colorado State at home. That's, yeah. you know, this is the year to play Northern Colorado. Uh, yeah, it would be. And they just don't have that on the schedule. And then in conference, it's... Conference it's, is easy, right? They don't start off really hard at all or anything. <laughs> at Oregon, oh. and USC at home. <laughs> oh. Oh, but other than that, um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's not a super easy slate. So I think that's the only reason I'm going... I'm dropping it down a little bit, but I have them. What did I do out of? I think I had them at three and six uh, in conference oh. in my prediction. So like four and four and eight. Yeah, I, I think I would err on the side of them pulling off. Uh, maybe a, a. I could see them going at TCU losing, but then beating Nebraska and Colorado State. They could at home. do that. Yeah. Um, so somewhere between four and eight and five and seven is probably where I'm gauging it. Three conference wins. I mean, yeah, you're doing some work there. You're going to, you know, if you can't, I mean, I don't know if they can, but we'll see. Yeah. It's again, the whole roster's brand new. Like the best player I saw them have, like is now on Arizona's team, you know, like in the right. spring. So it was like, okay. I mean, he was amazing in that spring game. Uh, not that that matters much, but whatever. Okay, let's go. We got another one. Oregon State Beavers. Let's uh, hear from our friend, our pal, Angie Machado from Beaver Blitz. 
Hi, this is Angie Machado with BeaverBlitz.com. I cover Oregon State for the 24-7 network for BeaverBlitz.com. You know, right now, Oregon State is, is trying to focus on, on the fall camp, first week of fall camp, even amidst all this Pac-12 realignment and being one of the leftover four without a home. Uh, right now, though, this is the most anticipated season in Oregon State since, well, since probably 2012 and, and probably before. There's a lot of anticipation uh, surrounding the season, coming off of Oregon State's 10-win season a year ago, which finished with a big win over Florida in the Vegas Bowl. Biggest question right now is defensively in the secondary, where the Beavers lost veterans, longtime veterans, Alex Austin, Jaden Grant, and then also Rajon Wright. They do return Katano Ladapo at safety and, and look to bring in Jaden Robinson and a couple Jucos in Tyrese Ivey and Drake Vickers, who have actually turned heads early this fall camp. Uh, offensively, the big question is at quarterback, where Oregon State really struggled a year ago, and, and the argument could be made that Oregon State possibly could have beat Washington and, and USC with slightly better quarterback play. Oregon State does bring in former five-star DJ Uwangalele from Clemson. He is battling with Ben Goldbranson right now for the number one spot, but talented freshman Aiden Childs is right there. I do think DJ will get the nod uh, come first game as a starter, and Ben will probably be the backup, although right now if I had to race him, I would say it goes DJ, Aiden, and then Ben. Um, expectations, like I said, are super high right now for Oregon State, and it, it's, you know, I guess it's kind of keeping fans' minds off of the no home for next season and the fact that they have a really favorable schedule playing Utah, US, UCLA, UW all at home. Uh, they do miss USC this year, so the expectation is really to play USC in that Pac-12 title game. Um, coming up in December. Good stuff. Great yeah. stuff from Angie. Everyone she loves... didn't sound like she was cut off. No, she re- she redid it. Oh my god! Yeah, what so, a stud. Uh, yeah, we were texting before the show. Aiden, everyone talks about Aiden Childs like he's going to be like the next huge thing. Like who knows? Maybe the second half of the year he's like starting or something. But I know I know Tracy really liked him seeing him in high school. Uh, okay, thought UCLA should get after him um, before Dante Moore, obviously. Um, I, so wh- about that quarterback competition, because I take Angie's comments uh, very seriously because she's really, really good at her job. And every year she gives us a tip on the latest Oregon State running back who's going to look like a friggin Heisman right. contender. Yes. Um, like we hear about all these guys. When you listen to this show, just you get n- just pure nuggets about the beeves. Um, uh, ben Goldbranson, we watched him play football last year. Do you remember we did, it? We did. Yes. Uh, the fact that it is a competition and they're kind of neck and neck right now, uh, him and uh, five-star transfer, Clemson transfer, DJ. Ongolele. I guess that's what we're going with Something now. like that. Um, well, you can take that two ways. You can say Jonathan Smith's really improved Ben Goldbranson in a year, which would totally make sense. That would totally make sense. He's a cute quarterback guru. Or... DJ is still the same guy he was at Clemson, and he has not improved. And it's a it's a not great situation at quarterback. I don't know which way to take that. Yeah. Um, and so, I think that's going to be interesting to see who wins that job first. But also, um, what level of play we're talking about here is this an iron sharpens iron, or is it just picking the best of a you know a not great lot? And Aiden Childs might be the guy with the most upside in that group, but he's a true freshman. Yeah. Um, so. I would never count out Oregon State due to an offensive issue. Uh, not in the Jonathan Smith era. He's shown kind of a knack for, I mean, how many straight runs was it to it beat like Oregon? Or yeah. Um, 
he's shown a knack for adapting to his personnel um, and making things, uh, making a little chicken salad out of chicken, uh, you know what. So uh, I, I, I'm not going to count him out for that. Um, defensively, I mean, I've liked what Trent Bray has done there since he took over uh, at defensive coordinator, but they're replacing a ton. Inside linebacker, they're replacing a bunch. Uh, Omar Spates is gone. Um, and then the defensive backfield, they're replacing a ton. They did get... Um, uh, they did get lucky in getting um, uh, what's his face back in the secondary, uh, Kitan Oladapo, because uh, he that was a sixth year. Uh, he could come back. back for one more. Yeah, yeah, so that was that was good to get him back. But still, you're replacing a lot of bodies, so it might take a while to get everything up to speed. So I think they're going to be leaning on the run game early. You know, Damian Martinez and um, try to win some games with offense while this defense kind of coheres a little bit more. But um, they were the most solid program in the Pac-12 last year when you factor in just the balance defensively and offensively. Yeah. It was like a top 30 offense, top 30 defense, and I think it can round into that form again by the end of this year. No, I agree. Um, and, uh, like, Trent Bray did a great job. Didn't really know, like, oh, I think he was, like, the linebacker coach they promoted. Yeah. Um, and the one thing I would – yeah, there's production gone – and they didn't like go crazy in the portal and just replace a whole bunch of dudes. But no. I would say that he took when Trent Bray took over, like the guy, those same guys were on the defense and they were kind of terrible, right? Like they yeah. weren't very good. So I, I kind of have confidence in the system and what he's going to be able to do. Um, and, you know, get some replacements in there and still do well. I, I feel like this team's going to go as far as their defense goes because they, they really. You know, it's great to have the awesome run game, but but you need you pair it with a good defense, and that's what they had last year. Um, I think you can win a bunch of games, and I think you don't win ten games if you, your defense doesn't play as well as it did. And I feel like if you're going to get the double digits this year, and you want to, like Angie said, play for the Pac-12 championship, um, I think the defense is going to have to play at, at a high level again. So, can you keep the defense at a high level? Re, you know, without all of the returning production, and that's I, I kind of I feel confident that they can do pretty well on that front but i'm curious to see how it pans out like if it just falls off a cliff i don't think that's going to happen um or they can actually come out and and stop some people they've got a pretty nice ramp up into the season too like it's not they have to go at san jose state so it's at but it's san jose state you know yeah. one of the worst programs in probably football <laughs> uh then it's uc davis at home uh and then it's san diego state at home it's it's a decent enough ramp up to playing serious opponents san diego state doesn't really have an offense so those three programs, I think that puts them in good shape to work out any defensive kinks they might have with the newcomers, with trying to get guys into new roles. So it sets up nicely for them to close out the year uh, well. I have them at five and four in conference, but I could go so many wow. different ways. It was just when you're picking all the games specifically, like I had them losing a couple that are weird because if you remember, Oregon State was really bad on the road last year. Like a very different team on the road than they were at home. Yeah. So I played into that a little bit, but you could talk me into seven and two. You could talk me into five and four. I okay. went on the low end, but um, man, I, I, disrespecting the beach. I know. In their... I know. I've got them. At, I think eight and four because I have them sweeping through non-conference. All but, right. Um, yeah. So that's where I have them right now. But we'll see what uh, what ends up happening. All right. Uh, let's do. Why don't we do? I'll do this one. USC Trojan. Uh, that'll be me, I guess. Oh, um, I can talk about the Trojans. You want me to do it? You want to do that? Uh, okay. Uh, go from four and eight to eleven and three. Lincoln Riley's first year last year. A lot of optimism. 
uh, around the USC Trojan football program. The offense was elite. They had the Heisman Trophy winner and Caleb Williams, um, good veteran offensive line. Return a whole bunch of dudes on the offensive side of the ball. Um, you know, Travis Dye was a great leader, transferred in from Oregon. Um, but they, you know, they, they, I think they had a hard time, you know, originally trying to replace him, but getting Marshawn Lloyd, and they also still have Austin Jones. Marshawn Lloyd comes in from South Carolina, Austin Jones, um, the Stanford transfer. I think those veteran leaders are going to kind of take that group over. Um, ton of wide receivers. Uh, I think Brennan Rice can really have a breakout season, but they bring a Dorian Singer, who was the second leading receiver in the Pac-12 last year from Arizona. Should have plenty of dudes to throw the ball to. They got three freshmen that look amazing and led by Zachariah Branch is a five-star that just looks like a, a dude already. Um, see how much the tight ends get involved. They bring in a few more uh, offensive line transfers. They might have three transfers starting this year, but they're a lot deeper on the offensive line than they were like two years ago. They had like six guys that could play and then uh, basically like eight or nine guys that were just, you know, Clay Helton guys that weren't going to be, you know, Pac-12 level offensive linemen. Those guys are all gone. They got a bunch of young guys that will be studs down the road. So a lot of better depth on the offensive line. I don't have any really worries about the offense. As long as Caleb Williams stays healthy, they should be fine. Uh, the defensive side is where, you know, they were ranked so poorly, um, you know, over the years uh, or, you know, last year. They just weren't. They were not good. You know, they got a lot of turnovers early in the season, but late they couldn't really get a stop. The one big win they had was UCLA, and that's, you know, one of their defensive linemen gets an interception, and that's the only stop they really got. So they got to start getting stops. Uh, Lincoln Riley brought the whole staff back, so Alex Grinch, D.C., is still there. But, you know, last year they added superstars on offense and, like, some guys on defense, and now they're adding – a lot of stars on the defensive side of the ball, potential superstars. Um, the whole defensive front, I think they have nine returning starters on the defensive side, and a bunch of them probably won't play much or not start at least. So I think that's a pretty good sign. Um, I mean, like Jack Sullivan's this like fifth-year guy from Purdue, big dude with mustache. Like, he's going to be a dude. Keon Bars from Arizona. They bring in Bear Alexander from Georgia, you know. Um, uh, Anthony Lucas from Texas A&M. This guy, uh, uh, Jamil Muhammad from Georgia State. He's probably going to be their starting like edge rusher. The dude was like a former quarterback. He's just like a man. I'm like, you guys were at Georgia State? Like, So the dudes they've added on defense, like there's legit guys. Uh, you know, Mason Cobb was uh, all Big 12, uh, you know, the leading tackler for Oklahoma State coming in at linebacker. So it's legit improvement as far as talent goes on the defensive side of the ball. Can you knit all that together and make it a more effective defense. And, you know, they're being in the hundreds last year was terrible, but the offense still almost got them to a Pac-12 championship and a college football playoff berth, you know? So can the defense just get to like the 60s or something, you know, somewhere in the middle of FBS, and then they'll probably, you know, be in that Pac-12 championship game again. But I, th I think I try to, you know, tell you straight like what it is, but I – I feel the offense is still going to be elite, and I think the defense could be actually pretty darn good. Like, they, they just had a scrimmage last weekend, and the defense won out. And I don't know if that's just like Lincoln Riley, you know, telling us stuff that, hey, the defense is actually better, and they're not. But just from the guys I've seen, uh, it looks like a legit, you know, legit upgrades all over the place on defense, a lot more depth. 
So I'm a little more optimistic, I guess, David, on, on the uh, defense this year. And if the defense is pretty good, their special teams was bad too. So they get Arizona State's punter, who was like the all Pac-12 punter. It's like, oh, our special team sucks. Let's go get Arizona State's punter. Um, so they've they've made improvements in the areas that they stunk. Can you get significantly better? That's going to be the question. I think it's um, it's definitely the most fascinating challenge of Alex Grinch's career with all of that talent. How do you flatten it into something that can uh, still finish in the bottom quarter of college football? <laughs> like, how do you take all of that talent and somehow grind it down to your level again? Because that's, I mean, that's a huge challenge. He's never, he's never had to do that with this amount of talent. He's never had to make them play so much worse than the sum of their parts. You know, like yeah. he's never had to do that at this level. You know, he's had a body here, a talented guy there, and he can make them you know, not matter uh, because uh, the rest of the defense sucks so bad. But how does he do it when every single guy is a dude? How does he take them all and say, no, we've got to make this so much worse. You're not, you're playing too well. You need to play worse. And he's only got, I mean, he's only got three more weeks, right? Some of these guys only came in for fall camp. So he's only got a little bit of time to work yeah, his magic. So this will be, um, again, biggest challenge of his career. It was funny. We had Dan Weber come. Uh, so my former, he was three years ago, the last time we went to a practice. So he hasn't seen anything. So he got to come to one practice and he was just like, he was looking at, he was like, we interviewed Jack Sullivan. He was like, who's this huge dude that was from Purdue that played like, basically played four years at Purdue. And now he's like doing his, you know, some graduate degree out here and he's going to play for USC. And he, he talks like a coach. And you're like, there's all these guys that are just like, okay. Like, what? I mean, it just looked completely different. Like, most of their defensive line starters are back, and they're probably none of them are going to start. So, if I you've mean, got a guy in your defensive line group whose name is Bear, you're probably getting pretty good. <laughs> it's going to be all right. Uh, you're going to be fine. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, when I look at USC, um, uh, putting my serious hat on, uh, it will be hard for I think Grinch to screw that up too badly. Um, I don't. I mean, I, I think there's limitations of when you're with that kind of offense. You probably aren't going to ever have like a top twenty defense. No, no. but I think it'll be top fifty. And if it's top fifty, uh, it's going to be gangbusters because that offense is going to be again probably the best in college football. Um, you know, as it was last year in literally Lincoln Riley's first year, and he's got a returning quarterback who won the friggin' Heisman. <laughs> So I think um, it's it, there's you got to start looking for the opportunities. All right, so where could USC trip up is really the question. Um, and non-conference really doesn't. I mean, obviously they've got Notre Dame every year, and it's at Notre Dame this year. But Nevada and San, and San Jose State are. I mean, they should blow out each of those teams by six right. touchdowns. Um, and then in conference. You know, they have to play Oregon and Washington. So, you know, ideally you would have had last year's conference schedule instead of this year's, um, where it was Oregon State and Washington State instead. Um, but still, I mean, the the game I'm circling, obviously, is USC at Oregon. At Oregon, that's a big one. Um, and obviously other games can trip them up. UCLA at home could trip them up. Washington at home could trip them up. Notre Dame on the road could trip them up. But Utah at home. I mean, Utah beat them twice last year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I won't say it was smoke and mirrors because it wasn't. Uh, I think they did. Like, kind of really piss off the Utah. <laughs> it, it, uh, no, in the second game especially, I thought that like the fact that they – so Caleb Williams was hurt, but a part of that was it was such a physical game. Like Utah yeah. was playing such a physical game that it was going to trend that way eventually anyway. Um, the first one, though, was like kind of kind of wet and wild. Um, 
But uh, I, I guess th- there's still some opportunities to trip up. But I would say USC is going to be a considerable favorite in every game. Maybe not at Oregon, but pretty much every other game. They, they'll probably be a favorite. I would think even at Notre Dame. Depends on that Notre Dame's like mid. You know, they're ranked in the coach. Well, I guess it doesn't matter, but. But we'll see how Notre Dame plays. You know, um, they get the quarterback from Wake Forest. He had a weird system down there. How well does he work? Curious to see. You know, they lose their offensive coordinator, but I mean, Notre Dame might be good, and then that would be a tough one too. But I think the only one right now you'd look on paper would be at Oregon. Yeah, at Oregon because that's a team that has a similar level of talent, um, yeah. and so and it's on the road, and it's on the road in a very tough environment, and. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of reasons to circle that one. It's going to be two teams that are at, still at that point in the year would be my guess is that they're playing for the opportunity to play each other again in two weeks after that. So I think there's a lot of um, a, a lot of factors to consider with that one. All right, we got one last one. UCLA Bruins. UCLA. We're going to go to our own David David Woods for this one. Yes, we will. Um all right, so UCLA uh, started fall camp uh, on Wednesday last week. Um, it's only open for about 15 minutes of practice, so we're kind of going off of what we saw in spring, going off a little bit of what we saw there and kind of what we're hearing. Uh, the big story is offensively um, who's going to replace Dorian Thompson-Robinson. It's uh, you'll, you'll hear a lot of stuff that it's like a, a multiplayer battle. It's really two guys. Um, it's Dante Moore. The true freshman, uh, and then Ethan Garbers, the redshirt junior who uh, originally transferred in from Washington after his one year at Washington. He's backed up uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson in the last two years. Um, when we were gauging this in spring, I would have said uh, Garbers was more solid, more consistent, um, better able to run the offense, knew it better, as you would expect from a redshirt junior. Uh, Dante Moore was the upside play. Uh, but not in the way you would typically think. Like, you know, Caleb Williams is a five, former five-star quarterback with all the physical tools. He's got that big arm. He's got that tremendous athleticism. That's not really more. More is more of a um, feel, uh, consistency, uh, change up arm angles, um, do all kinds of stuff like that. Oh, no, I'm good. I thought it was a beer. Um, uh, no, so uh, more was uh, he, he's, uh, he's uh, got an uncanny feel for the game. And so that's where his upside is, is as he gets more versed in the offense, as he gets more versed in the speed of the college game, that kind of uncanny mental side of it will start to come forward a little bit more. Um, And so that's the thing where... That was a play on words, right? Yeah. Um, So that's the thing where we don't really know how it's going to play out in fall camp because you still do have Garbers who showed that the floor is pretty high for him. Like he knows this offense backwards and forwards. He can make all the throws. Uh, but more there's this tantalizing upside where um, he throws this beautiful lofted deep ball. He shows great touch, um, really good accuracy. The big question with him in the spring was just getting used to the speed of the game because he doesn't have a cannon. And so hitting intermediate throws where there's a safety kind of crashing down on the ball, fitting that in the window was a little bit difficult for him. And I don't think it was an arm talent ability. I think it was just having the feel for what you have to do in college versus what you were able to do during your four years of start in high school. Um, if he's gotten a handle on that, I, I didn't see too many flaws this spring. It was, it was one of the most impressive, I think mental adjustments to college football. I think I've seen from a true freshman quarterback. So that's really intriguing. And we're not going to really have any clarity on that 
besides probably sourcing. Um, and there's no clarity at this point on who's ahead or behind. Um, so that's the question mark offensively. I would say offensive line, they have to replace three starters, but they replace them with three transfer former starters from college programs. So um, you can be concerned about it, but also it's it's probably going to be okay. Um, Duke Clemens at center is returning. Gary DiGiorgio at right tackle is returning. And then they're bringing in Jake Wiley from Colorado, who I talked about earlier during the Colorado section. Colorado didn't really want to lose him, and we've heard nothing but good things so far. Kadir Kunta at left tackle was the uh, left tackle for Old Dominion. I talked to him a bunch this offseason. Um, he started out as a defensive end, grew into offensive tackle, which I always love to hear when a guy who started out as like a, a different kind of athlete grows physically into offensive tackle because a lot of times they retain those feet, they retain that athleticism. Um, and it looks like he did. And his body, like he's a really trimmed up left tackle. Um, we'll see how he plays, obviously, but uh, looks the part. And then uh, Purdue transfer Spencer Holstage is expected to start at left guard and replace uh, replacing Antonio Maffi. And he was pretty good at Purdue. So it uh, should be a solid starting offensive line group. Uh, depth is a question. If they sustain, you know, probably more than two injuries, then things will start to get a little bit sketchy, but um, not major issues. And then uh, the other big uh, replacement is Zach Charbonnet's at running back. They brought in Ball State transfer Carson Steele, who had, I think, 1,500 yards last year for Ball State. TJ Harden uh, is, honestly, he looked better than him in spring. Uh, TJ Harden did. So uh, wouldn't be surprised if he ends up platooning with Steele. Um, he, he looked more explosive than Steele in the spring. Steele's probably a little bit more of the balanced, you know, make the right decision type running back. And then at receiver, uh, they brought in a load of transfers who should be impact guys. J. Michael Sturdivant was really good at Cal. And Cal has kind of the same effect as the Colorado effect, where if a guy was pretty good for Cal, that guy might be excellent. For he was for one a, of the top receivers in the conference, though, right? Wasn't he? Like, up but he there? was 65, 65 catches for like seven hundred and eighty yards. Yeah. <laughs> like it's like okay, but in a real offense, that translates to sixty five catches for twelve hundred yards. <laughs> um, so I'm expecting big things from him. He looked. I I, I, I said it in the spring. I'm going to pump the brakes on comparisons, but he looks like a a big, long, fast receiver. Um, and UCLA hasn't had those in a long time. Uh, Kyle Ford from USCS looks really good. I don't have, I should, you know, kind of top level view. I don't have many concerns about the offense. I think whoever ends up at quarterback is going to be solid enough. And the pieces around them are going to be pretty good. This should again be a top 20 offense. But overall, I mean, like schedule's not that hard, right? I haven't like, gone to the defense yet, homie. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, but you can talk about the schedule. I was going to say, like the schedule isn't that hard. They can score some points. I mean, nine ten wins is not like out of the question, right? Like, no, the schedule is super easy. Um, I, I I would have UCLA. I mean, what did I predict? I had them at six and three in conference, um, and they should go three and zero in non conference. So, not, so okay, nine, nine three. three. Yeah. Um, but uh, defensively, or uh, it's like with everyone else, that's where the question marks are. This was a bad defense last year. Uh, they brought in a new coordinator, Danton Lynn, who was a Ravens assistant. Um, Obviously, that's good, uh, you know, good uh, teaching lines or whatever you want to call them. Um, but we'll see what that looks like. Uh, defensive line, um, you know, they bring back Gary Smith and Jay Toia defensive tackle. Um, they're both going to be solid pluggers, but there's not a ton of depth. There's Keanu Williams, who was a transfer in from Oregon, but not a ton of depth behind him. 
the edge rush, uh, Leatu Latu, uh, the Murphy twins, um, Carl Jones should be solid, should be good, um, somewhere in that range. Linebackers where they need to make a ton of improvements. Um, Darius Muasau, he's getting a lot of, um, he got, I think, all Pac-12 second team last year, and he's all Pac-12 first team, I think, preseason. He was not that good, and he is, he, he, he hasn't shown that good. So, um, in reality, he needs to improve a ton from where he was last year. Uh, and then at cornerback, they weren't very good last year. Um, it's the same group as last year. Uh, they just need to improve a lot collectively. Um, so, all things considered, it's a defensive unit that's going to rely mostly on the same guys who were already there. There's a couple of transfer additions, but it's mostly the same group as last year. And they just, frankly, need to be coached better and schemed better. And if that happens... They could, again, get, kind of get to that magic point that a lot of schools are shooting for this year in the Pac-12, which is getting to the top half of college football defensively, and then you can start talking about bigger things. Because the offense will be good enough, and it's just yeah. like, how good can the defense be? Um, usually it's in that conversation, right? Like, there's six teams that probably have a legit shot to win the conference this year. They're at the back end of that, but yeah, I think they're if, if things break right because of the schedule, and this is UCLA's advantage is the schedule this year. Where USC, Oregon, Utah, and Washington, I believe all have to play each other. Like they all have to play that same set of schools. UCLA avoids both Washington and Oregon. Yeah. So they avoid two of the contenders in conference play. That does present an advantage, but they have to seize it. Um so if given my druthers, I would power rank them probably fifth in the group of contenders. But based on the schedule, they might be a little bit further up that. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Um, I'm really curious to see what, you know, you bring in a new defensive coordinator. Sometimes it just clicks and works right away. We saw it at Oregon State, and then sometimes it doesn't quite. You can have the same players and, and perform a lot better. So I think that's – it's going to be hard to I, – I feel like the, the floor is not that low because the schedule is not that hard. But you want to, you want to be able to stretch the ceiling a little bit, and I think you got to be really good on defense to be able to do that. So that'll be that'll be what we have to watch for, I think. Yeah, the floor is um, seven and five. Like it really, I mean, and that's the bottom. Floor. That's like the quarterback plays just crap. That's and, the quarterback's crap. The defense is just as bad as it was last year, and yeah. so the offense is like top thirty instead of top twenty. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think uh, eight and four reasonable, nine and three possible, and then. Uh, Nine and three, I'd say, is my pick, and then probably reasonable. Yeah, fringe, no. fringe upside. I mean, ten and two. Yeah. All right. Well, that's half the uh, half the league. That's half of them, baby. And we have way more than half our time. Um, all right, let's take a quick break because uh, we got to get. We have a lot of questions we got to get to. I got another live show coming up in like forty minutes, and it takes some time between these, so we'll have to try to get through these quick. But back in a minute. <laughs> back here on the podcast of champions we got a voicemail david i'll All play right. it for you hey what's up guys it's perk um i don't have a question this week I have more of a request uh given all the news that's happened with the pac-12 and everything like that i think i can speak for um the other 33 listeners of this podcast but i just hope you guys don't uh fold up things um and, and that you guys continue to record um I, I can firmly say that whether you guys just cover the old Pac-12 footprint in their various conferences or 
um, just kind of go with whatever the flow is. Definitely a lot of us would uh, would appreciate it, and we've definitely loved um, every minute of the podcast. So just hope the podcast, nothing happens to the podcast of champions because um, it's just way too fun to give up. And quite honestly, if it did end, you could take the podcast app right off my phone. Um, thanks, guys. Wow. Aww. That's so what sweet. What a nice thing to say. Is, are we sure he was talking to us? Did he record that like for the uh, solid verbal or something? I don't know. Uh, no, we're not going away. We're uh, we just got our like YouTube channel over a thousand. Yeah, we got We just got to we're we got to play it out and figure it out. Um, honestly, the the question is whether we get more ambitious than we've been or not. Um, right. The 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 least ambitious thing we would do is uh, do the Pac-12 show and just continue following the Pac-12 teams. But yeah. we got to decide if we want to add anything to our plates. So that's kind of the big question at this point. All right. Um, I think we got a text message. Is this the one from James in Washington, or is it an, one after that? No, I think it's... Okay, it's this one. Uh, from 626? Yes. All right. Hey, guys, great coverage of the fall of the Pac-12. Questions. One, Phil Knight is getting up there in age. Considering how much his money contributed to their success, what do you think happens to Oregon when he passes? I don't think it can be measured. I don't know. Um, it's hard, I, yeah. I think he's probably set up enough of an apparatus that they'll probably continue to fund the program. But right. um, that that level of personal investment requires a level of psychosis that few possess, you know? Like, you have to be so crazy obsessed with, like, college athletics to want to spend that much money on your school yeah um and you know you, you don't you don't run into those all the time you got a t boone pickens over here you got a phil knight over here but it's not like you hear um god uh who's another super billionaire who's not doing anything for their school like any of those washington university of washington billionaires like they're not or stanford doling a bunch of money to the football program or yeah if, I mean, stanford has you know every friggin uh <laughs> vulture startup in the world and they're not pouring a <laughs> bunch of money into football so uh, it requires a special blend of money and psychoses to make that work and uh there's no telling whether his heir is going to have that same level of investment yeah uh two where do you think ucla usc you uh uh oregon and u-dub fall in the basketball hierarchy of the big 10 not wrong person to ask for that so. all right uh ucla will be at the top um at or near uh but depending on the year at or near, but from like a pedigree standpoint, definitely the top. Um, the other three schools, somewhere in the middle to the bottom, um, UW's been really bad in basketball and has showed really bad investment in basketball of yeah. late. So I need to see more out of that program. Oregon's been quite good under Dana Altman, but he's showing signs of dropping off. And I just don't know about Oregon basketball as again, maybe for the same reason as Phil Knight as a long-term thing. Uh, it does seem a little bit more coach-driven to me, but then you could say the same thing about UCLA. Um, but I think they can recruit. Um, they've shown some propensity for getting uh, crazy in the transfer portal. So maybe they're in the top quarter to third of the league. USC, it's just so... They can recruit so well, but Andy Enfield is... I, I hate to denigrate him because he's done a fine enough job at USC for like kind of what that job has been historically, but... Like, if I was a USC fan, I'd be like, we're getting this much talent and we are performing at this level. We should be better than this. Yeah. Um, so I but just don't know. Historically, they're better than they've been. USC so. should, I mean, for the same reason that UCLA, we always, I always sit here and I'm like, why aren't they better in football? What the hell are they doing? Yeah. USC should be better in basketball too, for the same reasons that UCLA should be better than it is in football. 
it's in the same place as the school that's really good. <laughs> you you can recruit in the same ways, and uh, it's a top tier athletic institution. So I think USC is one of those that's like it's got the potential to be top third in that league, but it might just be hovering in the middle for uh, the foreseeable future. Yeah. And then uh, we know how you feel on this one. Oh, and they said travel side. Did things get easier or harder for each program compared to where they historically finished in the Pac-12? Harder. Yeah, it's tougher. I mean, outside of for travel, basketball, it's especially be harder. But it's definitely gonna be tougher. Um, what is this? Uh, Soul cow? Soul cow? Uh, I don't know. Who this is. Uh, I'm guessing it's uh, a cow fan who lives in Seoul. Maybe. Uh, this is a text message. Been listening to you guys for a while. Mostly entertaining. Always bugged me on how you how bad you treated Cal. Not surprising uh, with you guys being FUCLA and FUSC people. Hmm. Don't get me started. Is his, is his keyboard broken or something? I mean, maybe there's like yeah. an extra F Oof. every once in a while. Don't get me started with the Bruins uh, taking our fight song. I'd give a three-star rating due to David's obnoxious voice. Wow, Dude, taking good. a fight song and making it better is a time-honored tradition. Damn. Uh, but on to the rest. This realignment blows. Kill the conference. I love screwing over all the minor sports with all the travel times. It will hurt student health in the long run. But for football, my question is, what happens to Cal in the remaining three? Any talent we have in Berkeley, Ott, Hunter, etc., will be gone for sure. Why well, stay at a conference that will surely take a backseat? All allegiance will be gone. For players to stay, and this is beyond NIL, the transfer portal will be packed with players. And the coaches are definitely gone, too. Wilcox, for sure, is kicking himself for not taking that Oregon job now. If the Pac-12, or whatever the name, uh, whatever they name themselves, stays in some form, uh, how do you say they are the Conference of Champions? I don't know, but we, we're still going to be the Podcast of Champions, I can tell you no that. No doubt. I truly hope the worst for every team that left. I hope they get dismantled in their new conference. I hope George and Cal's AD get fired. And never find a job again. This is scorched earth policy. <laughs> what a sad day for college football. Took all the joy out of the football season before it started. Be prepared for a lot of opting the red shirt or sit out and wait for the transfer portal. Good grief. Uh, curious to see what happens to you two after the dust settles. Go Bears. Lo, lo, low point for Cal fan. Low point here. Yeah, I think Cal was good. I was optimistic, to be fair, about Cal last year. I was not like they were going to be great, but I thought like six and six, not as bad as they were. I try to be, we, I think we try to be honest about this stuff. I didn't steal your fight song. That was David. Um, <laughs> it was but, me. <laughs> uh, but it's it's hard when you're a, le you're a leftover now. But the good thing is that they're a brand, like Cal and Stanford could end up in the ACC where Washington State and Oregon State can't. So there's still some value there. Um but we're not – no, we we think this sucks too. We love the Pac-12, you know? No, like, Cal Athletics is a distressed asset. Like, if you read about, like, the debt <laughs> like – That's that, true, yeah. It's – um, I mean, I, I honestly, I hope – I made this very clear. I hope the Big Ten eventually makes a godfather offer to uh, the remaining Pac-4, but especially Cal and Stanford. Um, but, yeah, it's a, it's a tough time. Um, I think there's – I think everything's on the table, honestly. I mean, I think for – I wasn't kidding the other day when I was like, look into how you declare bankruptcy as an athletic department separate from the university. Oh. Uh, but, like, there's there's not a lot of good things on the horizon because there's been a lot of overspending, and overspending without income uh, generally leads to bad news. 
Um, I know there was some talk. I think Wilner's posted about this. Gonzano has as well about what do you do with the money that's supposed to come in as revenue this coming year? How how do you dole it out? And maybe the remaining pack four can take a higher percentage of it or, you know, all of it. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, it's hard to say. Something like that to uh, help uh, mitigate the damage here would uh, obviously be beneficial at the Cal. But from like a football on the field standpoint, I think he's right. I think you are going to see an exodus to some extent. Um, I think coaching staff exodus was in place for this year anyway, uh, for one reason, which was that they were going to be horrible this year. And so everyone was going to get fired. But now it'll be for another reason where they might leave anyway, because um, why would you stay if you're not competing for anything anymore? Yeah. Um, so I think there's a lot of uh, very uh, dark times ahead for Cal, and, and hopefully it gets worked out and they get picked up by one of these power conferences. But I just I don't know at this point. Search says Cal tricks me, and maybe they'll be better. That maybe they'll be better every year by losing a bunch of games by a score or less. <laughs> I don't know. Was it last year? I mean, they lost to freaking Colorado. Yeah, so, like, no, you're, you know, count, and they're going to be worse this year. You can't, you can't give up. You can't fault us for anything. Your school lost to the worst Power Five team I've ever seen. That was an omen. Yeah. Yeah. Literally, Colorado was god awful. All right. Next, like they weren't with like thirty-five points of most teams. Next up from John in Oakland, who killed the Pac-12? Hi, Ryan and David. Well, I was wrong about Oregon fighting to keep the Pac-12 alive and with it an easier path to the college football playoffs. I'm struck now by the blame game going on in the media that centers on the L.A. schools as the cause for the Pac-12's issues. To me, it seems like Oregon and Phil Knight's unlimited money for its extravagant athletic facilities and NIL deals is what really drove the need for USC and UCLA to want significantly increased revenue for their conference affiliation. Uh, and then he's got a link to uh, Oregon raising a ton of money. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, no, no, no. This is not it. Uh, UCLA... Um, massively overspent um and covid hit and they ran a huge deficit and so it's a uh what was pitched as a department saving measure now you educated observer might say well why couldn't the central campus just bail out athletics since they're all part of the same entity and we keep saying that over and over and over again when we're talking about cal because uh, ucla doesn't operate that way and won't ever do it uh do you know ucla has to pay a license like a a a a fee, a rental fee for using Poly Pavilion to play basketball games per game. Yeah, that's a true thing. Look it up. They have to pay the central campus from <laughs> athletic department funds to rent the facility where they play their home basketball games. Even though you get like, you know, hundreds of yeah. applications or thousands of applications true. because the basketball team plays there and they're good. Correct. And they rent it to you. All true. Yeah. So um, UCLA ran a deficit for a lot of, a lot of, okay and very stupid reasons and so they needed the money uh for usc it might have been more of a competitive factor like how do we keep up with oregon when we're not fundraising at the same level but frankly whenever usc complains about money i just start to go to sleep because come on yeah get the hell out of here i would say i think john you were right though oregon did want to have the, that from all the reporting i've read they wanted an easier path to the college football playoff but the pac-12 screwed it up so badly that they didn't really have much of a choice i think the number one culprit isn't USC and UCLA, it's the the Pac-12 presidents. And Klyovkov could have kept this together. Like, this was sort of like when USC was, you know, when they had Pat Hayden and Lin Swan as the athletic director. It's like, USC went from 4-8 and eight to 11-2 and two just because you hired one guy that was good. You hired Lincoln Riley, and you're instantly, like, win the Heisman. Like, you went from a crap program to Heisman winning in one year 
because you've made one good hire. You have to for USC. You have to try to not screw it up. Like you, I mean, it, yeah, you don't have to. It's like you, if you want to screw it up, you have to like put an effort towards screwing it up, and you still might not screw it up. I feel like the same thing with this deal. Like you could have kept the Pac-12 together. You had to really try to not do it. Like you, you had a lot of things had to go wrong. A lot of decisions had to be made to make it go this way. So I feel like the president's turning that deal down was a big one. I, I feel the president's Scott, Larry Scott, and George Klyavkov were all at fault. But I think the president's at the end. Um, just there, you know, David's story about, uh, you know, them the the media partners coming in there and telling them, you know, trying to slap them upside the face and say, hey, stop doing this. You guys are being idiots. And uh, they just wouldn't listen. So I think that arrogance really is what killed the conference for me. Yep. Um, All right, we got to rapid fire these. Yeah. Is it me or you next? You. Okay. Uh, Good news for Cal. I get the Cal ones. Cal football and others left behind are, quote, unfortunate casualties. Uh, I don't see it that way for a couple of reasons. One, I'm not sure I, I want Cal to be part of the NIL top dollar professionalization of college football. Two, uh, it is great that Cal is no longer in the same conference as USC, UCLA, Washington, Oregon, etc. Cal has been consistently competitive in the conference for about 70 years outside. Hasn't. I'm sorry, hasn't been con- uh, competitive in the conference for uh, outside of a couple of years of the 70 years. So while you LA guys wax poetic about the glorious Pac-12, you really mean glorious for you. This is a chance for Cal to finally right-size their program to the competition. Here's hoping they join the Mountain West, Ivy, Division Three, or go independent. If they were to join the Big Ten at a reduced rate, they would be bottom feeders just as they were in the Pac-12 and maybe even more so. Maybe Cal and Stanford will band together and give Fox ESPN the collective middle finger we can only hope. Mm. Wow. So Sean is like, let's drop down. I mean... But Cal has like some great history too. Like, mm-hmm. there's like national championships and shit, like from back in the day. So that's Way why. back. Yeah, but still, that's why you're like, I don't know. That just seems. Yeah, and I don't I, like that. I mean, I, I, it's a squishy argument because it's hard to prove. But like, I do think there are ramifications for the actual university when you do drop down uh, your athletics. Yeah. I, I know it sounds ridiculous, but I, I, I think it is real. Um, and I think that's why you see like most of the major. Uh, academic institutions outside of the ivies that actually play sports play them at a high level now maybe cal just decides to drop sports entirely uh but it's a major public institution you don't usually see that yeah crap we do have to rapid fire okay all right next up this is uh from ronald saturday podcast new listener stanford alumnus yes they suck in football and men's basketball but they're one of the premier lifelines to the olympic sports and won the director's cup this year and they do draw well in those sports just don't understand the sarcasm and negativity um First, Ronald, it's fun to make fun of Stanford. Second, there aren't many Stanford fans, so most of you don't listen. We got a bunch of them. They're we got, they're writing in today. Third, no, they're right. Cal fans. Cal fans. No, this was a Stanford fan. We I got know a, this is one. The next one's the next one's Stanford fan too. Uh, but uh, I would say those two things, and then three. Um, I'm just personally bitter about the David Shaw years still uh, and uh, the eight straight wins over UCLA. And I take it out on you, the Stanford fan. I'm sorry about that. No, but Stanford, yeah, one of the premier, if not the premier athletic department in the country. And they're left without it. It's just how crazy this is. Um, I do feel like you need to separate football from everything else. I think that would fix a lot of the stuff. But yeah, no, we're no one's saying Stanford's, I mean, Stanford's really good at most everything. Uh, they just haven't been good at football and basketball lately. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stanford fan number eight says the only explanation, and uh, hi, Ryan and Dave. It's R-I-A-N and D-A-H. Dav. Dav. D-A-H. 
Rian and Dav, I guess, D-A-H-V-E. I haven't slept in 96 hours. I've revisited the realignment timeline from every single angle. I've reread every cryptic tweet from Buff Nowhere 64, and I've run analytics on every statement from the Pac-12 president, from a Pac-12 president, coach, AD, or equipment manager since the early since early 2020. All my research has led me to the incontrollable uh, truth. What is that? Incontrovertible. Incontrovertible truth. Holy cow! This is all David Shaw's fault. Stanford uh, fan number eight. You know, not not a completely illegitimate theory. If Stanford had maintained its level of play from 2013-14 through uh, the doldrums, does Stanford make a playoff? Do they make a couple of playoffs? Do they, you know, consistently dominate teams at a conference? Yeah. Does that raise the profile of the league? Does it give them an anchor point that's not, you know, USC continuing to fumble the bag? Maybe. Who knows? Could keep the conference together. If USC and UCLA were like decent, or yeah, great, maybe the, the conference stays together. Like there's a lot of things. All right. This is uh, from uh, Jay Velo. Pullman. Bill Pullman is not dead. Bill Paxton is. RIP. That's yeah. true. That's true. So Bill Paxton was the guy in like Aliens. Yeah. And a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, yeah. And Game Pullman's over, the Independence Day guy. Game over, man. All right. I'll do this one, too. Okay. This is Rob from Alameda, Los Alamitos. Uh, prediction on scheduling if Big Ten stays at 18 teams. Hi, Ryan and David. If the Big Ten stays at 18 teams, I do not think USC and UCLA will play Oregon and Washington every year. I think the conference will stick with the Flex Protect Plus scheme, allowing Oregon and Washington to play each other every year, but not allowing them to designate USC and UCLA as, quote, every year opponents. In fact, based on Oregon's involvement with the Committee on Infractions in 2010, I would guess that USC doesn't want to see Oregon every year. That will also allow the Big Ten that ha uh, Big Ten teams that have only one rival, of which there are nine, counting USC and UCLA in this scenario, to play every school in the conference once every two years and allow for the non-West Coast schools with one rival to have a West Coast trip every year. Thoughts? I kind of think, no, I think they're going to all be like, they'll be in a little pod. Yeah, um, I think that makes the most sense for a schedule standpoint. It's um, going to be really hard otherwise. This gets really hairy now. Oh, Flex Protect Plus, by the way, sounds like um, uh, something you buy to insure a uh, iPhone. Yeah. Right? That's true. Like a Flex Protect Plus plan? Yeah, so like, oh, I broke my screen. Oh, I your pay, Flex Protect Plus, plus uh, protects yeah, that. Yeah, Can we do a new name? Can we just call it a Flex Scheduling Model? Something like that. Or I kind of like the way the thought was but i feel like now you're just going to add those two and they'll be protected and then you're trying to figure it out but it was convenient that every four years you would have been on every campus and all that but that's not that's going to go away now you have too many teams yeah so i i i think i mean if they don't have them play oregon and washington every year i think it gets very stupid very quickly yeah i think the whole point of getting those in there is like okay you don't have to travel all that far it basically removes one multi-time zone uh trip per year for school otherwise if you don't play all these guys every you know every year they're still long trips north to south but they're at least in the same time zone the next one's from keon in the bay area i'm not going to read the whole thing because i already read it uh but he correctly notes that he emailed us in july of 2022 soon after usc and ucla announced their departure for the big 10 and suggested the podcast idea which we have now settled on as like the very likely direction of our show which is uh -huh. we still cover the same pac-12 teams and at the time we poo-pooed it very hard and said no that's too much work we're not going to do that so he's uh noting the irony of us having said that and now uh the reality that that's more than likely where we end up so keon was right thank you yes. keon yeah thank you for being right keon Frank says, keeping things in perspective, conference realignment is the equivalent of the transfer portal for college teams. Um, 
Yeah, it is funny when like they're arguing in front of Congress about NIL and how this, you know, all this stuff and but a whole conference can just get destroyed and it and all these student athletes' lives like turned upside down and it's okay. Like that's fine. But we want to make sure that people are reporting what their NIL deal is, you know, like that. Otherwise, like how would everyone know what they're making? It's like no other industry reports what they're making to everybody else. Like why do these student athletes have to do that? So yeah, Rules I think it's for me and not for thee. Yeah. He also says in another email, don't cry for the pack eight, 10, 12. When I think about shoveling snow in Minnesota in November in the sixties at my aunt's house and coming inside watching USC playing UCLA on color TV, I noted the uniforms, the stadium and the pageantry. I never thought about the pack eight. When we moved to California, my kids went to USC in the early 2000s. We jumped on a bus from Sacramento to see the Trojans play at Cal or Stanford's and my, or Stanford. My kids uh, kept coming up for the weekender. I never thought about the Pac-10. Once Stanford and Cal are in the Big Ten and the best teams out West are all playing each other, I won't be thinking about the Pac-12. Nobody cheers for a conference. The Rose Bowl can still be a great end-of-season game. It ceased being strictly between the Pac and Big Ten years ago. Frank and Sacramento. Frank, all you're arguing for is the continuation of all of the regional rivalries, which we're all saying. We're just saying it in the context of the Pac-12. But yeah. no, it's not like, oh, God, I got really married to the idea of them playing Colorado every year. What we're all talking about is the historical rivalries that have always been in place. And I'm not just saying like UCLA and USC, but there are tertiary and secondary rivalries. There's this history that's built up of like, I can remember, you know, games against Washington that were meaningful and memorable. Uh, I can't remember any games against Indiana that were such. Uh, and that kind of fabric of your memory and your understanding of the sport and the familiarity with fellow alumni of these different sports. You know, I know people who went to Cal. I know people who went to Stanford. I know people who went to Washington, Oregon, so on and so forth, who I can talk shit to. That's super important. It's college football. It's tribal. You want to talk shit. Uh, I don't know anybody who went to Indiana. Yeah. Nor do I care to. Uh <laughs> <laughs> so it's just, uh, Frank, you're saying the same thing. You're just saying, oh, nobody cares about the Pac-10. Well, no, I don't care about the conference name. If it had been called the Atlantic Five, it would have been stupid because there were 10 teams and, and it wasn't on the Atlantic. But it would still be the same feel because they're the the, the teams that are in it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, if Cal and Stanford get suddenly added to the Big Ten and you throw in Oregon State and Washington State, I won't have many complaints either because they're still playing the same, you know, eight teams they've been playing since the 1910s. Yeah. Um, all right. Next up, uh, this is from Matt. Uh, I posted this on the uh, great memories. I posted this on the P in response to quote your favorite Pac-12 memories. Just wanted to share it with you guys. So many. I love this conference, warts and all. Of course, tons of USC here, but there are a few from other teams as well. Quite a few at SC's expense. Uh, Jaquiz Rogers going off in Razor Stadium. Aaron Rodgers shredding a great USC secondary. Twenty-three straight completions. I think that was incredible. Yeah. I remember watching that in the press box, at the Rose Bowl, and being like, "What the hell is happening?" He was crazy good. Uh, Legarrette Blunt punching the goofy kid from Boise. <laughs> that was funny. Uh, those Chip Kelly Oregon offenses. Warp speed was a lot of fun. Scooby Wright senior season tackle machine. Uh, Vontae's perfect uh, pushing refs out of his way at the line of scrimmage. All things involving Marshawn Lynch, uh, Gardner Minshew, and Mike Leach. What a season they had together. Christian McCaffrey, second only to Reggie Bush to me in modern Pac-12. Jim Harbaugh, what's your deal? LOL. Just the tip of the iceberg for me. We'll miss this conference. Those are all good ones. No, not a really lot of good. USC ones, a lot of other ones. No, that so. was mostly other ones. And also USC getting clowned on with a lot of them. Yeah. Um, one of my favorites, Larry Scott. I think it was like 2015 when the Pac-12 won their 500 <laughs> championship. You start Pac-12 football media day. Not saying the word football for the first five to eight minutes, whatever it was. Like, that was crazy. That was a beautiful moment. Uh, this is from from a singed and very sad Wazoo and Gonzaga fan. He's feeling robbed. 
Hey guys, not to beat a dead horse, I can't speak for you too, but the death of the Pac-12 and the formation of, quote, Super Leagues is just a massive turnoff for me. Gone are the days of regional pride, regional rivals, and many of the things that make college football great and separate it from the NFL. Uh, they have been replaced by bastard conferences made only to get big TV contracts where we will see the Washington Huskies travel nearly 3,000 miles to play a conference game at Rutgers, a distance greater than the entire width of Europe. College, never thought of it that way. College basketball still has March Madness, uh, which so far, he's, which is like, like a witch, like with mm. on a broom, so far has been able to avoid all this, but college football has lost so much of what made it special. Now... And in the future, moving forward, it's just a worse version of the NFL with the biggest difference being the amount of drunk teenagers in the stands. It's truly sad that something we love so much has been turned into something so ugly all over what amounts to a series of dick measuring contests. Uh, singed and very sad Wazoo and Gonzaga fan. You're dead right. Hard to argue with any of that. Yep. Uh, then there's our uh, audio engineer who decided he wanted to quit his job and not tell us. Uh, and it's yeah. Peter in Vancouver. Okay. Demise of the Pac-12. Uh, gentlemen, a lot has been written and discussed about the mistakes made by the Pac-12 conference, conference, which led to its current demise. The money, talent, and passion for college football has been concentrated in the Southeast and Midwest for some time now. The teams in those areas have been getting the viewers and would inevitably get the most money, which elevated those teams. My question is whether those mistakes made by the Pac-12 really made any difference other than speeding up what was going to occur anyway. Was the death of the Pac-12 inevitable given the current landscape of college football? Peter in Vancouver. Uh, it's not so much the landscape of college football. It's um, unfettered free market capitalism. Because uh, the problem here is um, if you allow uh, the conferences to negotiate their own TV contracts and you allow them to all compete against each other in this way... Um, and if you're just constantly ballooning in salary, it becomes a money game at some point. And if it's a money game, the Pac-12, unless it maintained a level of excellence on the field, was going to lose out. And maintaining that level of excellence requires some um, uh, requires getting so lucky with uh, recruiting um, because of the demographic shifts uh, in the West compared to the Southeast, um, that it's just, it's hard to imagine uh, that the Pac-12 would have survived all that much longer than it already did. Um, I think, you know, maybe they get, maybe they're a little bit better. Maybe USC doesn't, you know, screw the pooch so badly. Maybe UCLA maintains a better level of, of play. But I think that all needed to start in the early 2000s. I mean, I think UCLA needed to maintain a level. I think, you know, USC needed to not drop off so horribly from the Pete Carroll era. Um, and the end result is that um, uh, it did, and it probably would have anyway in the longer run, like, say, medium term. Uh, but the fact that they were so bad for the last five years or so really accelerated things. We had a few more questions too. Crap, but I I, I don't really think I can do them because I have I'm literally going live in ten minutes. I have to set up the other show. Um, we got Alfred, who is like a Colorado fan, who apologized um, for not having a better product, but he said at least we gave you the comedic 2022 yardage watch. That was kind of fun. Uh, he'll miss some of those rivalries. Um, talked about the uh, super conferences, uh, you know. Yeah, so we'll try to get to those next time. And uh, Leo 
upset that you talked about on the broadcast, Martin Jarman, I guess, looking at the USCAD job. Mm. So, um, but thanks for those questions, but I, I can't really do them. Wow. Uh, unless you, you want to say no, anything. No, 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 no. Because like, literally I have another show to do for my real job. <laughs> Not the, I didn't think it was go this long. We always go this long. That was season, a long, baby. That was a long, that was a long time. <laughs> and I'm literally just going to start talking again. You're looking shell-shocked. Uh, yeah, I'm like, holy cow. Uh, all right, well, let's wrap things up because we got to get going here. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in. We got half the previews down. We got to get the other half next week. Hopefully there's not as many notes about all the conference realignment crap because that was a lot. But David, David Woods, I'm Ryan Abraham. Hope you guys enjoyed the show and we will talk to you next time. Goodbye.